This is the Washington Indivisible Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. Democrats in Washington state legislature went into this year's long session with a lot of expectations, especially after picking up a seat in each chamber in last year's election. Groups like Indivisible and Fuse Washington worked hard to advocate for legislation in areas like housing, gun safety, voting rights, health care, and a lot more. And here to talk about what got accomplished in this year's session and some of what didn't is Rainey Cohen. She is the communications hub director with Fuse Washington. Hey, Rainey, how are you? I'm great. It's great to be back. How are you? I'm good. Um, And, you know, I think overall, I think we have some good things to talk about in terms of what got done this year. So let's just start with some of the big wins. Um, I want to start with the ban on assault weapons. I think this was something that uh, was a long time in coming. Uh, Washington became the 10th state to block the sale, distribution, manufacture, and importation of assault rifles like the AR-15. You know, we talked about changing attitudes on guns in our previous segment. And as a messaging person, I'll just ask you, first and foremost, why do you think the bill was finally able to make it through this year. And then how much do we attribute that to messaging on this issue? Yeah. You know, uh, about a year ago, folks here and around the country started framing this issue in terms of our freedoms, like kids' freedom to learn in schools, our right to be free from fear. And the conversation really turned into like safety for all of us. So like I mentioned before, uh, it really does help when the president is calling for legislation like this. And as you mentioned at the top, we expanded our majorities in Washington and sent legislators to Olympia with a mandate. And I'm really proud that our leaders took up this issue. They had the hard conversations about it uh, and made banning these weapons a priority. Yeah, absolutely right. Uh, I'm proud as well. And, you know, uh, I think, as you say, uh, you know, being able to frame things uh, on the, the the messaging of, of freedom and safety uh, is so, so uh, effective and, and absolutely accurate, I think. You know, Democrats also passed a bill to make gun manufacturers and dealers take steps to prevent their products from falling into the wrong hands. And then there was also one to require a 10-day waiting period to buy a gun. Lots of things that are moving in the right direction, I think. How are you thinking about the impact of all of this new legislation? in concert? Yeah, you know, I see all of this uh, as very complementary. Uh, and it's really smart legislation like this that makes the assault weapons ban even more meaningful. Like you can take certain guns off the market, but that waiting period is that extra layer of safety that will prevent reactionary gun violence. And when manufacturers have to do their part to keep guns out of the hands of certain people, then we have measures of accountability that are coming from all sides. So I really think all three bills were really important to like anchoring us in that safety um, outcome that they were looking for. Yep. Yep. Absolutely agreed. Uh, Another issue that we watch very closely is housing. Uh, Advocates were very excited about the passage of the so-called missing middle housing bill. Uh, This will change zoning to allow construction of duplexes and uh, up to six units on lots near transit centers. This, you know, this doesn't address existing housing stock shortage, but it could mean more housing down the line. I'll just ask you, how are you thinking about the passage of this bill? You know, this bill is a very important piece of a very large puzzle. Unlocking our zoning restrictions and legalizing more of this kinds of housing is going to benefit communities all across the state. Um, As you mentioned, like it doesn't immediately help affordability at all, but it is one of the biggest contributors to our housing crisis is that not enough homes for the number of people who live here. Um, That kind of thing is what drove up prices and like got us where we are. So this bill legalizing more homes is ultimately a really great thing. 
Well, you know, something that can directly impact housing stock is the the $400 million allotted in the budget for the state's housing trust fund, which finances affordable housing projects. Can you tell us what will that money do? Yeah. So uh, for those who are not familiar, like the housing trust fund is a great resource for our state. It helps local jurisdictions leverage both federal and local dollars to build permanently affordable rental homes for low income people. It also helps fund permanent supportive housing to get folks off the street and into that supportive environment that might keep them housed. And it provides down payment assistance for low income home buyers. Um, so it really is like this great resource all across the state. Um, and I'll tell you, when I worked at the Low Income Housing Alliance, we made a map one time of the whole state of how many um, housing trust fund homes there were by county. And really, when you look around your community, you will see that there are housing projects all over the place um, that are funded by this resource. And so $400 million is the most they have ever that the legislature has ever invested in one year. And so the impact that this is going to have once that money can be leveraged and those houses can be built um, is going to be uh, really complementary to the other solutions we're working on. Yeah, I should have mentioned this is right in your wheelhouse. This is something that is not only a passion <laughs> for you, but it's uh, definitely part of your professional portfolio. It's my understanding that this money will go to pay for around 3,000 new rental homes and should help about 250 to 400 households with home ownership. Is something else I wanted to ask you about, a very interesting bill that passed was the Covenant Home Ownership Program. What can you tell us about that? This one's pretty cool. Um, it's going to provide down payment and closing cost assistance to Washingtonians of color who want to become first time home buyers, but who experience the impacts of like racist redlining and housing discrimination in the past. And also descendants of those folks will qualify for some assistance as well. Um, I think we all know that there are huge disparities in home ownership by race and current data show that it's still much harder for people of color to secure home loans than it is for white people. And so this bill can uh, help address some of that, too. Yeah, nothing but good news on that. I, I want to shift gears and talk about abortion rights. Um, we know that in the wake of the Dobbs ruling, Washington lawmakers pushed uh, for a number of laws aimed at protecting abortion rights. Um, the so-called shield law passed. This would block criminal charges for anybody traveling here from out of state to seek reproductive or gender affirming care. We actually had uh, uh, Yasmin Trudeau on, Senator Yasmin Trudeau Very on to, cool. to speak about that. Yeah, she, she was phenomenal and we're all thrilled that it passed. What are your thoughts? Thoughts on this? I mean, obviously, very thrilled that it passed as well. Um, talk about protecting our freedom to decide what happens to our bodies. Um, Washington has always been pretty good on abortion care and access. So it was an excellent move to establish ourselves as a place where anyone who needs an abortion can come get it to get the care that they need and be free from the fear of being prosecuted when they go home. I think it's important to know, acknowledge also that in addition to this law, um, they passed a law that prote protects providers of abortion from prosecution uh, and then the guaranteed access to Mifepristone. Um, hugely important component to abortion access in Washington. Folks who are listening and watching and paying close attention here will notice that you keep referring to uh, protecting freedoms in your messaging, which I think is so important. And that dovetails into my next question about uh, a law that Democrats passed to protect trans kids who are seeking shelter while receiving gender affirming care. Um, we know this is an issue that is already being weaponized uh, a lot by the GOP. So how do you feel that we should be thinking about and messaging about this particular issue? 
this law is about keeping kids housed. End of story. LGBTQ kids experience high rates of homelessness, sex trafficking, suicide. You know, it's LGBTQ community is my community. Kids from my community are often thrown out of their homes for being gay. They're thrown out of their homes at even higher rates for being trans. And these kids can now seek shelter and access life-saving gender-affirming care and abortion care, by the way, uh, without having to notify those parents that threw them out or abused them or, or whatever the reason for the estrangement was. Uh, the goal with this is to keep kids off the streets and living in licensed, approved living environments. And, you know, just shout out to Senator Marco Elias, who uh, spearheaded this bill. He is fielding a lot, a lot of hateful, awful rhetoric on this one. So anytime anyone can show him some love and some thanks, please do. Absolutely right. And we know that he and this uh, this law are, are certainly on the right side of history. Uh, I also want to talk about voting rights. Um, first and foremost, I think we need to shout out the fact that we uh, finally got rid of Tim Iman's advisory votes. Uh, these bye, the, Tim. Bye, Tim. <laughs> Don't let the door hit you. Uh, leave the chair. I, I'm the, Those jokes will never leave get the old. Chair. Yeah, exactly. Uh, these, of course, were the meaningless bits of text that just clogged up ballots and often discouraged voting. I, I'm sure that you and everybody at Fuse uh, are happy to see this. Yeah. You know, advisory votes are so disingenuous. Uh, voting is supposed to be the way that we have a say in our laws. Uh, it's how we make changes in our government. It is our power. And advisory votes uh, just tricked voters into thinking that filling out that bubble was going to change something. Um, it stirred up anti-tax sentiment for absolutely no reason. Uh, and see ya. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Enough said on that. Uh, we also saw a bill that would make voter registration easier. And then we saw one that would strengthen the part of the Washington Voter Rights Act used to uh, the, the, that would address redistricting based on race. This one's very interesting. What can you tell us about this? Yeah. So a little bit of context. The uh, Voting Rights Act that passed in 2018 was to ensure more equitable representation for communities of color. Yakima being a great example of a county that has a majority Latino population, but a Latino had never held elected office at the county level. So advocates sued to overturn the system that was suppressing Latino votes, uh, and they won, but it cost them $2 million and several years of time and effort. So the improvements to the Washington Voting Rights Act is meant to make it simpler and more affordable to challenge voting systems that violate the VRA. It allows communities to be reimbursed up to $50,000 uh, for the cost of that legal action. And that money has to come from the community that did the violating of the law. Um, and then additionally, the bill creates stronger protections for uh, districting or voting practices that reduce voting strength of racial and other minority groups. So not super easy to explain in like one sentence, but uh, really important fixes. A great bill for Rep. Mina to pass in her first session and big, big work from the Washington Voting Rights uh, Coalition, uh, One America and the WCA. Yeah, here, here to all of them. And I think you did a very valiant job of, of laying that, uh, that that bill out for us and, and, and the things that it accomplishes. You know, we also talked, you and I, uh, the last time we spoke about a health care bill for immigrant workers who pay taxes into Medicaid but cannot receive coverage under it. What are the details of this bill? Yeah, you know, 
no matter someone's immigration status, uh, we should all have access to health care. Uh, there are over 105,000 Washingtonians who don't have access to health care because of their immigration status. So the legislature did include some funding for health care coverage um, to develop programs for uh, immigrants to um, seek care in Washington. There's going to be a new Medicaid-like program. And because of that, folks will see the doctor, address some health concerns before they have to go to emergency rooms. Um, but the programs that were created are not going to cover everyone who needs it. Uh, the Medicaid-like program will launch in July of next year, um, but it will be income-based, so not everyone will qualify. Uh, it's a big win for sure. It's something that we can build on. But for now, it is still leaving some people behind. Well, so everything we've talked about so far has been on, on the positive side of the ledger. Uh, and as I mentioned in the introduction, there were some uh, places where we came short. And so I wanted to just get, get your thoughts on a few of those. Uh, we, we should start with the wealth tax, I think. <laughs> so this would have levied a, a 1% tax on those with assets above $250 million, would have uh, impacted 0.01% uh, of the state's population. Uh, they happen to apparently have an inordinate amount of political power because this is the second year that this did not pass. How do you think we should be talking about this in anticipation of its reintroduction next year? Yeah. So, I mean, first, this is a new concept. Um, it needs to be continued to be socialized with legislators. There's a lot of uh, support for it, um, both publicly and among Democratic legislators. Um, but there's no like living example of it. It's the first of its kind in the nation. And so there's some, still some details to hammer out. We know as soon as this bill passes, wealthy conservative people are going to sue to make sure that it doesn't get implemented. Um, so we got to get all of the details right. Um, in terms of how we should be talking about it, we should really be hammering home that our communities need funding. Our schools are right now axing important programs. Right now, there are not enough homes for people to live in. Right now, low-income families need a bit more, more assistance. And we have enough money in Washington to solve these problems if we just go get it from the wealthiest who are hoarding it because they don't want to pay what they truly owe in taxes to the communities that we all live in. Education, housing, uh, low-income uh, individuals can, can benefit from this. And as you say, the money is here. Absolutely right. Um, speaking of money, you know, we talked about the Evergreen Basic Income Pilot Program also the last time we talked, and this also this this failed to pass. This would give a, a no strings attached uh, amount of cash to very low income adults each month for the period of two years. Sponsor Liz Berry said that she chalked up its loss to lawmakers tightening the budget in light of uh, an, un an uncertain economic future. I think is how she put it. But she did vow to reintroduce it. Um, what can we do between now and next session? to message about the need for this program, do you think? I think it's reinforcing that poverty levels were at their lowest rates in decades while low-income people were receiving COVID relief and stimulus checks. When we give people money with no strings attached, they're free to buy food, clothing, pay a bill, fix a car, pay down some debt, save it if they want to. Uh, we see this program working right now in Tacoma. And expanding that pilot program um, would have provided information that we need to stand up a successful statewide program that helps everyone who needs it in Washington. Uh, and just like we talked about, the wealth tax could fund something like this. But ultimately, you know, people know best how to take care of themselves and address their needs. And the more we design programs like that and implement them, the better off people will be.
Uh, agreed 100 percent. And I, I, I will just add that uh, I think it's fair to say that with the advent of AI uh, and a lot of jobs that will be uh, on the line because of uh, we, we simply don't know what's going to happen between now and the next couple of years. And so uh, I, I think the, the messaging around that may change radically between now and then based on a lot of unforeseen uh, elements. Um, my two cents. You know, there, there were. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> there you go. So anyway, there are a couple of uh, render protection bills. I want to get your thoughts on. They were introduced. They did not pass. You know, I would say something cynical along the lines of it seems like there are an inordinate amount of uh, members of the state legislature who own property, but I don't think that's all there is to it. What, what do you think about this? I wish I had a better answer for you. I truly do not understand the disconnect, uh, to be honest. Keeping renters in their homes is a key component to preventing and solving homelessness. And for a legislature that declared this to be the year of housing, this is a huge puzzle piece that was not addressed, like lost under the couch. I don't know where it went. Um, so for whatever reason, they focused on like houses as buildings, but not the people themselves who need help staying in the homes that they already have. Um, it's a mystery. I don't know why. Yeah, well, something to be uh, focused on for next year's session for sure. Uh, and then, uh, you know, finally, a lot of people, I think, were very angry and disappointed that uh, legislation to reduce penalties for drug possession failed to pass, even with a Democratic majority. There was a lot of last minute jockeying around this. What can you tell us about what happened here? Yeah, so um, the bill we're talking about uh, in its original form would have made drug possession a misdemeanor. When it went to the Senate, that got increased in penalty to a gross misdemeanor. And I think many of us agree that criminalizing drug possession is not the answer to solving substance use disorder. So making the penalty more severe was unacceptable to progressive Democrats. Um, when the bill was first moving through the legislature, it had Republican support. And on that final vote, Republicans locked up against it, progressives, we're saying, no, we can't do this. And ultimately the bill failed. Um, I think the trouble is now that local jurisdictions are proposing a patchwork of laws that criminalize drug possession at all kinds of different levels. And that's a disaster for everyone, for lawmakers, for cops who have to enforce it, for those who are possessing the drugs. Uh, and to be frank, there are a lot of lower income communities of color with conservative, white, tough on crime lawmakers that are going to enforce harsher laws at higher rates. And it's hard to see how this won't be worse for communities of color uh, than white communities. So the legislature is coming together for a special session. They're going to address this bill. They have until July 1st to sign a solution, a statewide solution. Otherwise, this patchwork of laws will take effect. In. Are, are you optimistic? I, I am optimistic. I think we've got one thing to focus on. I hope that they can come to an agreement. I think everyone agrees that the patchwork of laws is the worst case scenario. So we we need it has to be a statewide solution. There's no other way around it. You know, in closing, I do feel that on the balance, things actually were, were quite positive in, in this year's long session. But I want to hear from you. How are you feeling overall about this year's session? If you were to say, give it a letter grade, yeah. <laughs> how are you feeling about it? <laughs> um, oh, a letter grade. I don't know if I have a letter grade, but I do feel like 
the uh, the legislature this year made great strides towards protecting our freedoms. That's not just a messaging gimmick, like it's actually true. Um, freedom from fear of gun violence, the freedom to be who we are, the freedom to make decisions about our bodies, students to have freedom to learn in safe environments with accurate and inclusive curriculum. Like the list kind of goes on. We're really like planting our flag in Washington and declaring that we are like, as the nation is grappling with a whole bunch of horrible backsliding, we are anchoring ourselves as a, a safe place to live and a safe place to come if you need to escape whatever persecution is happening. So uh, ultimately, I, I think that was their priority, and I think that we did that. I think freedom as messaging is enormously positive and highly effective. And uh, as always, my friend, I really appreciate you taking the time, uh, lending your expertise and all of your wonderful insights. Rainy Cohen, thank you so much. Thank you. And that'll do it for this week. The executive producer of the show is Kat Pipkin. If you would like to see a video version of this podcast, head to facebook.com slash indivisible podcast. The email address for the show is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. Special thanks to Lori Kowal. And as always, my thanks to you for listening. I'm Stephen Cox, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.